Welcome to Summer Women in the Word. We're so glad you're all here. Thanks for coming out tonight and being with each other and learning more about God's Word. We're so glad. Okay, I was curious who had like the strangest pet at their table. Just yell it out. What? A tarantula. Tony the tarantula. Okay. Alligator. I knew you guys would have some really weird pets. <laughs> okay, we're going to be looking this summer at women in the Bible, the good, the bad, and the beautiful. And I get to talk about one of the good, which is pretty cool. But really, the truth is we all know we are all good. We are all beautiful when we cling to Christ. For our righteousness, that's how he sees us. So that's what we'll be learning throughout the summer. We need to realize he is our all in all, and I think Elizabeth did that. I was also curious, how many of you have some form of the name Elizabeth in your name? Put your hands high. There's like Beth, Lisa, Liza, Elsie. Yeah, they're all beautiful names. In case you didn't know this, Elizabeth means God is my abundance. And that is who Elizabeth was. This was true for her. She found her contentment. She found her satisfaction. She found her purpose in life by God's love and faithfulness to her and his generosity. And I thought, wouldn't that be great if we all always did that? And I'm going to confess to you throughout my life, I have wrestled with looking at other things to often bring me contentment and happiness, uh, friends, a marriage, kids, things. And uh, not that I always knew I was doing that. But here's the good thing when we're doing that. We're not happy or we're discontent. And then we can stop and think, why am I discontent? Why am I unhappy? And then we can discover, hey, I'm trying to find my happiness in the wrong things. I'm really letting other things take the place of God. God has created us in such a way that if we look to find our contentment in him, we will find it. Isn't that awesome? That's how he designed us. When we can say, God is my abundance, and we mean it, we're living out the divine design that he had for our lives. I love that Jesus taught this. Look on your verse sheet at John 10. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He said in John 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And then Paul was also teaching it. He says, I don't speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in. And then I put this verse on the top of your outline under the title. I think this would have been Elizabeth's verse. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Um, you all remember that song, we still sing it sometimes, You Are My All in All. And I really think it should be a song that's within our spirit every day when we face life. It means that he is our abundance, nothing else. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. 
You are my all in all. When I fall down, you pick me up. When I'm dry, you fill my cup. You are my all in all. There's nothing else. There's no one else on this earth that can be my lasting abundance besides our God. Um, I read this funny story of the pursuit of happiness, what we all do. And it was so funny. I'm just going to read it to you because I couldn't say it any better. This father says, we take our children to the shrine of the golden arches. He's comparing happiness to happy meals. <laughs> our children lust for the meal that comes with the cheap little prize. A combination christened in a moment of marketing genius, the happy meal. You're not just buying fries, McNuggets, and a dinosaur stamp. You're buying happiness. Their advertisements have convinced my children they have a little McDonald's-shaped vacuum in their souls. <laughs> Our hearts are restless till they find their rest in a Happy Meal. And this man says, I try to buy off my kids sometimes. I tell them, just order food, and I'll give you a quarter to buy a toy when we get into town. But the cry goes up, I want a Happy Meal. And all over the restaurant, people crane their necks to look at this tight-fisted, penny-pinching cheapskate of a parent <laughs> who would deny their child the meal of great joy. Then he says the problem with the Happy Meal is that the happy wears off. They need a new fix. No child discovers lasting happiness in just one Happy Meal. <laughs> None of them say, remember that Happy Meal? What great joy I found there. <laughs> happy Meals bring happiness only to McDonald's. You wonder why Ronald McDonald wears that grin? Billions of Happy Meals. And then he says this great line, when you get older, you don't get any smarter your Happy Meals just get more expensive. That is true when God's not the one that's making us happy. We are designed to depend on our Creator, designed to depend on our Creator. That's where we find satisfaction for our past, our present, and our future. And I want to look at Elizabeth's life and see how she did that. It reminded me of Psalm 23 on your verse sheet. It really is, when you read the whole thing, a psalm about all these incredible things God wants to do for us in our lives. Look at Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want anything else because he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, and he restores my soul. And the future, surely goodness and mercy, will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What great promises. So let's look at Elizabeth. First of all, she embraced her past spiritual heritage. Look in chapter 1 of Luke at verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, 
walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. So to begin Elizabeth's story, we have to look into the hills of Judea, about four miles outside of Jerusalem. This is where Elizabeth lived, and she was probably within walking distance to the temple. She and her husband, Zechariah, lived when Herod the Great was king of Judea. There were many Herods in history. This one was a descendant of Esau, um, the brother of Jacob. He was half Jewish. This was the king that would soon kill the baby boys in Bethlehem because he didn't want another king of the Jews. He was king of the Jews. The Romans appointed him king of the Jews. He was very loyal to the Romans. In fact, in the main temple gate, he took a golden Roman eagle, a huge one, and hung it up above the house of God. This was Herod, but their story did not begin with him. Both Elizabeth and Zechariah were descendants of Moses' brother Aaron. And Aaron was the first high priest in Israel. A high priest represented the people before God. So there were 12 tribes in Israel, and both Elizabeth and Zechariah were from the tribe of Levites. That was the tribe of priests that began with Aaron. And this is cool. Elizabeth even had a form of the name of Aaron's wife, another form of the name Elizabeth, Elisheba, that she also shared. They were honored to be spiritual leaders as their ancestors were. I think they embraced their spiritual past, and here's how we know that. We're going to find Zechariah fulfilling his priestly duties in the division of Abijah. And this was a division of uh, one out of 24 divisions of groups of priests that David formed in his day. Each division had a duty to serve in the temple two weeks out of the year, not at the same time, one week at a time. And there are maybe up to 20,000 priests in the country. So they would go in and they would take care of the temple and they would teach God's word and they would direct the worship. And here's what we know. Since Elizabeth was the wife of a priest, she probably had a vibrant spiritual life because a priest was not allowed to marry anybody that had a trail of something bad behind it. They were to marry women who were God's seekers so that the priesthood would not be defiled, so their personal ministry in the temple would not be defiled. So as a priest's wife, Elizabeth would have taken great pride in the priestly garments that Zechariah would have, and she would take care of those when she could. And she would open her house up because people would want to come and talk about the temple. People would want to come and talk about God. And so she would be this hospitable woman who would open her home and be excited to do that. Um, In these verses, we see that God's, in God's sight, they were both considered righteous. This does not mean they were without sin. It means that God saw them as believers because they had great faith in him. So Elizabeth and her husband fulfilled their spiritual responsibilities because they believed in the God of their forefathers and they obeyed his statutes. So they had this inner faith 
that they displayed by their outer behavior. Which leads me to ask you a question. What are you doing with your past spiritual inheritance? And I can ask myself the same question because somewhere in our past, you recognized your need for a Savior. You cried out to Christ to redeem you, which he did. He gave you a bountiful spiritual inheritance. I just want to tell you a few of the things, the blessings that we all inherited. The living Christ resides in you. The living Christ resides in you. You have peace with God. You have the Holy Spirit as your personal guide and your counselor. Your inheritance brought you forgiveness, redemption, salvation, righteousness. You've been adopted by God. You have been born again. Now, I don't know, have any of you ever met someone who inherited a lot from a relative and they did nothing about it? They just let it sit there. Hey, the same thing's true about our inheritance from God. It demands action. It calls us to become someone new. He gave us an inheritance of a new life at that time in our past so we would live a new way, not conform to the world anymore. And the great news is he's there to do it through us, to work with us. Look at Colossians 1. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Look at Philippians. Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, take action. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So like Elizabeth, once we accepted our inheritance, we have been appointed to walk blamelessly with God in all the statutes of our Lord. And what that means is our inner faith is being displayed by our outer obedience. There were two lines in a song that we sang Sunday that, to me, really describe what it means to live our lives centered on our inheritance from God. And one line said, I want to build my life on your love. It is a firm foundation. Build our life on his love. And the next line said, I'll put my trust in you alone, and I won't be shaken. Building our life on those wonderful blessings of our inheritance. He's our abundance. And he abundantly works within us to conform us to himself if we yield our lives to him. Okay. Elizabeth also trusted God for her present. Look at verse 7. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Okay, Elizabeth never had a child, and now she was old, barren and old. 
in ancient Israel, being childless uh, was very painful, just like it is today for women. Uh, but also in that culture, it was a social humiliation. It was a disgrace. It said that there was some divine disfavor to them. That's what they thought. Even they saw it as a curse put upon them. Verse 25 is going to tell us Elizabeth felt that disgrace among her people. But we have to see from what we just read that even being barren and feeling disgraced did not make Elizabeth quit believing in the goodness of God. She continued to believe that. She continued to walk blamelessly without even knowing God had another plan all along. She didn't know that. She couldn't have imagined his plan. It would have been beyond anything she could have ever hoped for. And it tells us God's timetable is better than our timetable. Every time. So Zechariah was at the temple. He was going to perform his duties. He was chosen to burn the incense by drawing lots, which would have been like dice. The incense would burn twice a day at 9 a.m. at 3.30 p.m. And when the people outside the temple saw the smoke rising from the burning of the incense, they would pray because that smoke would symbolize their prayers going up into heaven, going to God. It would have been a huge honor to burn the incense. Lots of priests Never had the opportunity to do that. If you did get the opportunity, you only got to do it once in your life. But it wasn't the dice that caused Zachariah to be burning the incense that day. He had a divine appointment with God. The day that Zechariah reached out his hand and lit to burn that incense ushered in a new life for Elizabeth and a new life for the entire Jewish nation because he would be promised a son with a divine and an amazing mission to usher in the Messiah of the world, the Savior of the world, the Messiah of Israel. Their son John would prepare the way for the one who was the way. So I want us to imagine Zechariah, he's alone in the temple, he's lighting the incense, he's really the focal point of all of Jerusalem and much of the Jewish nation at that time, burning that incense. I want you to picture that multitude surrounding, looking up, waiting to see that smoke rising so they could start praying. And then I want you to imagine what it felt like when John put down his light and turned and looked, and there's an angel Standing there staring at him next to the table of incense. Scary. That would be scary. So let's see what happened. Verse 11. There appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer's been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many people will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. 
He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So even though I think he was terrified, Zacharias heard the most incredible news he had ever heard in his life. He and Elizabeth were going to be parents. They were going to have a son. And not only just a son, I love how he describes him. He'll be a great joy to you and to everybody. He will be celebrated, set apart for God, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he will turn the children of Israel to God. When he says he's going to turn the hearts of father to the children, he's talking about how John would just reconcile relationships. When he says he's going to turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, he's talking about reconciling people with God. This is how John would prepare the way for the Messiah. He also is supposed to emphasize his message, John is, by staying away from alcohol and by dressing, behaving, and eating like Elijah the prophet with the same kind of power and also with an uncompromising stand for God's word like Elijah had as well. He would be the forerunner of the Messiah as was prophesied by Malachi hundreds of years before. Look on your verse sheet at those. Malachi 3. Behold, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. Malachi 4. Behold, I'll send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. You know, Jesus confirmed these prophesies 33 years after this moment for um, Zechariah in the temple when he would speak about John. I love it that he said, you know, among those born of a woman, nobody's been greater than John. Nobody. And see what else he said, Matthew 11. What then did you go out to see, a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it's written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who was to come. There will be a later fulfillment of a type of Elijah at the very end times, but John also came in the power of Elijah, calling people to repent. Come to God. To repent means to turn. Turn from what you are and turn to God. And we know that he did this. Uh, look at Matthew 3 on your verse sheet. John wore a garment of camel's hair. This is later in his life. A leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. And Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. This is the son of old Baron Elizabeth. What an incredible thing. And you know what? She would believe it. She would believe this was going to happen. Now, Zechariah had a little bit of a harder time, maybe because he was standing in front of Gabriel. 
He says, how can I know this? I'm an old man. My wife's an old woman. And then Gabriel has a good, strong answer for him. First he says, I'm Gabriel. Now, I want to tell you, this is the same Gabriel that came twice to Daniel years before. And he's about to send a message to Mary, the cousin of Elizabeth, very soon. But right now he's standing there with Zechariah and he says, I'm Gabriel. I came here. I was sent to you to give you this very good news. And from that point on, Zechariah was deafened and silenced and could not speak until his prophecy was fulfilled. So I want us to imagine what happened afterwards. He's stepping out into the sunlight after this happened. The people all are all out there. As he emerges from the holy place, he would see the faces of the people, and they're all waiting for the customary high priest blessing that would happen right then. But they could tell by his face something has happened in there. Now, I think uh, they're staring at him, and Zechariah begins to make signs to them, and I think this is where charades begin. <laughs> I would have loved to have been there to see it. Like, what did he do? Like, show lighting, and, and then Gabriel, and then this, and then this. You know, I don't know. I don't know what they figured out, but they knew something happened in there that was an act of God, something incredible. I think Zechariah couldn't wait to get home. And I think he wrote everything down for Elizabeth to read and told her this whole story. And we have to believe that they fell to their knees and praised God beyond what they could have ever thought of. And I don't think they only praised God that they were having a son. They praised God that the Messiah was coming because they'd been praying for that as well. All of Israel prayed for that. And maybe both of these prayers is what Gabriel meant when he said, your prayer's been answered. Their own son would prepare the way for their own Savior. It's a picture of redemption. You know, God turning back the decay of nature, the old body of Elizabeth, and bringing forth new life. A picture of redemption for Israel, turning back the decay of Israel and bringing new life through their Messiah, Jesus Christ. Let's see what happened next. Verse 24. After these days... His wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. She believed in the promise of a son and was thankful for God's goodness in her life. And I think that's why she was hidden for five months. She says here that she was thinking about how God has removed her reproach and blessed her. And I think she spent a lot of time telling that to God, withdrew from other people. You know, the name John means God is gracious. And I think she was saying those words back to God a lot. You are gracious. You are good. She praised God for blessing her even as he moved forward with his plans for all of human history. 
She got to be a part of that. Which leads me to ask us another question. How are we doing approaching all the circumstances of our lives every day in faith? Are we trusting God at our present as Elizabeth did each day? Do we take our needs and our desires to God? Do we trust in his timing? Do we believe he's got the best way? That he has the best plans for us, that he wants to accomplish things for our good? Do we search each day for his goodness and withdraw to tell him about them and worship him? Do we have a heart that beats with thankfulness for his mercies? You know, I read a joke about a woman, and, and it was about being ungrateful. And it was a story of a woman with her young son, and they're in the woods, and a tornado hits, and they're, you know, holding on to each other, and they're crying. And, and all of a sudden, her son is just taken out of her arms and just flies away. So she starts praying, Lord, God, give me back my son, my son, where's my son? Next thing she knows, he's back down at her feet. She picks him up. She brushes him off. She's so happy. But then she thinks him and it says, now, God, he was wearing a hat. <laughs> do we ever do that? No. We miss out on thanking God for something incredible because all of a sudden we remember something else that we wish he would do for us. There are so many little mercies in our lives every single day that we have to think about. We have to remember he's our abundance. He is enough. When we do that, we can face each day with faith and thanksgiving. You know, Elizabeth hoped in the Messiah also for her future. How did she face it? We're going to find out when she's six months pregnant. I told you about Gabriel, the messenger angel. He's on another mission. We don't have time to read it, but he, he goes to Mary. And he tells her that she will have the promised Messiah through the power of God's Spirit. So incredible. God will be the father of this child. And this was Mary's response. I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me as you say. And then it's so great because Gabriel wants to encourage Mary by saying, you know, nothing's impossible with God. And let me tell you about your cousin Elizabeth. She's going to have a baby. She's six months pregnant. And as soon as the angel left, it was like Mary couldn't wait to go see your cousin Elizabeth. And I have to ask myself the question, why? This tells us more about Elizabeth. She had to be someone pretty special. I think she was a woman of faith a woman of kindness. And so Mary immediately thought about her. That's who she wanted to go share her good news with. Here's another reason we know this is true. She would not have wanted to take this difficult journey if she didn't value who Elizabeth was. This was not a leisurely country stroll. I used to just think they were like blocks apart from each other. <laughs> no. She went very far. It was dangerous. It was difficult. She passed through deserts. She passed through canyons and cliffs and slopes where she couldn't even pass through and had to come up with new ways. Going in that journey was more fit for fugitives, rebels, hermits. Those were the people who did those things, not a young pregnant woman. That's how much she wanted to see Elizabeth. Look at verse 39. 
In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Okay, now I don't know about you, but if I saw my cousin, young cousin Mary, come to the door and be pushing that screen door open, I'd be yelling out, guess what, I'm having a baby. I'm having a baby. It's not just any baby. This is a special baby, a special baby from God. That's what you would have wanted to do. But as soon as Mary came through the door, Elizabeth's unborn son began doing what he was created to do. He began exalting Christ even in Elizabeth's womb, just as Gabriel said he would. He leaped in Elizabeth's womb, and the Holy Spirit leaped in Elizabeth's soul, and he illuminated the whole situation to her. Instead, she cries out, blessed are you, Mary. Blessed is the baby to come. And why am I so privileged to have the mother of my Lord come to me? She had looked forward to the Messiah coming her entire life. And now he's in her home, an unborn child. So she in no way envies Mary that she is carrying the greater child. Tells us a lot about Elizabeth. We can see her acting out her name. God is my abundance. Because have you guys realized this that I've had to learn? When that's true in our lives, when we believe our God is our abundance and he's enough, we can be happy for the abundance of others. Elizabeth even celebrates Mary's faith. Blessed are you who believed what they told you, that it would really be fulfilled. She celebrates her faith. She doesn't envy Mary. She rejoices in her faith and the coming of the Messiah. And I think Mary had to be a little nervous about this whole situation. And don't you know, Elizabeth really helped calm her heart and celebrate with her and really minister to her. Uh, for three months, Elizabeth stayed there. I mean, Mary stayed with Elizabeth. And I think that if I were Elizabeth, I would want to help and serve and host Mary, but I would also be secretly serving the Messiah. Think about it. Mary would, Elizabeth would have been probably the very first person to serve the Messiah. And that's what she got to do. And I bet they had these uh, late-night talks with candlelight, these two pregnant women, <laughs> talking about, well, God is amazing. And look how he's using us, a very young woman, a very old woman, to bring about this incredible plan. Let's see what happens, verse 57. 
Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Now on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he should be called John. And they said, Were well, none of your relatives is called by this name? And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open, his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God, and fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. John came just as God had promised. All the neighbors and relatives rejoiced, just as Gabriel had said they would. But here's what I love. From the moment that he was born, his parents, Elizabeth and Zechariah, carefully obeyed all the plans that God had for him. First of all, they observed the law and had their son circumcised on his eighth day. This was a big event. This was an important event. This would signify that John was joining the Jewish nation as God's covenant people. And so after that happened, you know, John's in a bassinet, and the neighbors are peeking and looking at him and saying, what are you going to name him? What are you calling him? Zechariah? And that's what they would have thought because family names, family lines were very important. So if it wasn't going to be Zechariah, it would have been somebody else in the family. And I thought, you know, that could have been a temptation for Elizabeth and Zechariah. You know, this is going to be a special child. I want to get my name in on it. But they didn't do that. They put God's will over theirs. And Zechariah had written out for Elizabeth that his name would be John earlier. So she looked at her friends and said, no, we're calling him John. They were shocked. What? You don't have any relatives named John. So then they ran to Zechariah, start gesturing again. And he gets a tablet and writes on it, his name is John. And immediately his lips are opened, his mouth is freed, his ears are freed. He begins to bless and praise the Lord. We don't have time to read it all, but I want to read part of it. Look at verse 76. He says to the baby, you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. The neighbors and relatives continued to be astounded at everything surrounding John's birth, and they began to tweet all about this all over the hills of Judea. Just wanted to see if you're awake. No, what did they do? They did it the old-fashioned way. They talked about God like we're supposed to. They said, God's doing this, and isn't God great, and what about this? Let's see what God's doing here. That's what we're all supposed to do. They talked all about it. What will this child be? God's hand is upon him. And the parents continued to obey God by raising him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Look at verse 80. The child grew, became strong in spirit, 
and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. Okay, what does that tell you about Elizabeth? What would a typical mom do? I'd be out there going, come home for dinner. Get out of the wilderness. It's dangerous. <laughs> she knew that was the plan. He grew up and she let him grow up how God wanted him to grow up. She believed God would fulfill his promises and bless Israel greatly. Which leads me to our last question. How are you and I doing about our future with God? Do we believe it's in God's hands or do we try to pull it out of God's hands? Do we have a hard time letting our grip go because we want to control and plan what our future is going to be like? Do we believe God's promises so that we can trust him to our future even though it looks dim to us? Do we continue to walk obediently even if it's hard? Believing blessings will follow. This is what delights God. Look on your verse sheet, Psalm 147. <coughs> the Lord favors those who fear him, those who wait for his loving kindness. You know that expression? Wait for it, wait for it. <laughs> this is where it comes from. We are supposed to be waiting. He calls us. Live life believing in his abundant love today and tomorrow. And we won't fear the future when we believe in the promises and faithfulness of God. We have to know what they are. The more we know, the more we'll believe, the less fear we will have. When I was a very young teacher, I was uh, teaching school. My degree was secondary but I ended up taking a job teaching fourth grade. So I had no elementary ed teaching at all or preparation. I was clueless about the things you do with elementary. So I remember like the day before school started, I had this bare and empty room, and then I walked the halls and saw balloons and confetti, and, the, and I was like, oh, my gosh, what, how do you do this? What are you supposed to do? So I remember running in and didn't really have much, and I thought, what do I want to put on my bulletin board? Back then, that was everything, the bulletin board. So I took construction paper, cut out my own letters. They were probably pitiful to look at. And then I cut out a big sun and had rays coming from the sun. I put that in the middle of the bulletin board, and I put the words up, Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Now, my bulletin board may have looked pretty weak, but it had a strong message. That's what I wanted my students to know every day. New mercies you can see. I think that song is talking about God is my abundance. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed. Thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness unto me. Let's adopt the name of Elizabeth. Let's say God is my abundance. Let's live our lives believing he is for our past, our present, and our future. Let me pray. Lord, you are good and gracious 
and a God who is generous in everything. I just pray you would remind us of that each day so we could live growing in our belief that you are all we need and coming to you with that belief and being blessed by you. We thank you for who you are, for your great goodness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.